0: Welcome to the first ever episode of Uncomfortable Conversations uh, that has two versions of it, a premium and uh, a regular ad-supported version of it. This is the regular one. You know, it's it's still fine. I'm not going to poo-poo my own product. This is a perfectly adequate, perfectly serviceable episode of the show. Now, if you are a, a Primo subscriber, or in fact, everyone who subscribes and submits their email to my Substack is currently a Primo subscriber because I'm giving everything away for free for two months. But if you've done that and you're hearing this, then uh, something's got horribly wrong and the, the, the fabric of the space-time continuum has ruptured. Or we have just neglected to inform you properly about how to subscribe to the premium feed. Uh, you should have received a welcome email from Substack Regardless of whether or not you went for a paid option or just a free option, there's no credit cards initially. All you have to do is just put in your uh, email address, and then you should have gotten a welcome email that has a link at the bottom to set up your own individual premium uncomfortable conversations feed, which is just yours for you alone. Uh, now, if that didn't happen, the workaround initially would be to go to uncomfortableconversations.substack.com/ listen slash listen. And that way, you'll be able to generate your own uh, premium podcast feed if you're logged into your Substack. If uh, that's not the case, and you're just here happily because you're blithely going about your life and you haven't bothered to sign up to the Substack yet, well, what the hell are you doing? You should be signed up to the Substack. It's not hard. All you do is put in your email, and then you're on the mailing list. It's not like we're going to spam you or sell the mailing list or something like that. You don't need a credit card. We're not going to auto-transfer you onto some large monthly subscription that you can't get out of. All it means is everything happens exactly the same, except you get a lot more stuff for the next two months. And then after the trial ends, you still don't get charged anything, but you'll get a weekly newsletter with some of the best stuff that I've done on ABC Radio and elsewhere. And you'll get access to, to chat on comment threads to shout at us about what we're doing wrong, uh, if you so desire. So basically, there's nothing worse than the status quo. So it makes no sense to not subscribe to the Substack. uh i'd love to you to ask me anything as well we're going to do a special show for subscribers which as i say is everybody regardless of whether you're paying uh, as long as you're sub- subscribed to the Substack, uh between christmas and new year be a big ask me anything anything you want to know from your old uncle josh just ask it and uh and I'll, I'll do my best to answer so especially since you're now going to be part of the community you can send me and ask me anything uh, you know, if you still don't sign up to the Substack and ask me anything, then I may grudgingly respond, but it will be a lackluster. It will be a brief, terse, succinct and lackluster response instead of the joyful elaborations that I'll provide to, uh, to people who bother to be part of the community. Also, if you got on, uh, if you got in early with the the Substack, uh, you know, before we even launched the Substack, I was saying, hey, if you're interested in subscribing, just send us an email, and you'll get a special benefit for being a pre 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 subscriber. Uh, but I didn't tell you what that special benefit was. Well, are you ready? I got it right here in my hot little hands, ladies and gentle persons. Drum roll, please, maestro. Doesn't sound like a very good drum roll, does it? I should get an actual drum. I should get a drum set here and do a proper drum roll. Uh, it'll be a special hangout, cocktail chatter, video, Zoom, like party with me and the other pre-subscribers. That's the, uh, that's the benefit. That'll happen in January, maybe February. Uh, but certainly within the next couple of months, uh, I'll get to meet you. And you'll get to meet me if you were one of those first people to get on board. Anyway, enough waffling zeps uh if you are a subscriber you're listening to the wrong episode which means that you're not going to get tom ballard's hilarious first date questions at the end of the show and you're going to hear ads that you don't need to be hearing so why would you do that you'd be crazy just go and subscribe uh and uh that's uh, the end of my rant enjoy g'day humans welcome to the safe space for dangerous ideas one of australia's biggest stand-up comics on the show today tom ballard is a name known well and a face known well to all Australians. Uh, he's a, a un, You know, he's not a, He's not an oldie. He's a millennial. And his latest book is a screed against the baby boomers from the perspective of uh, a millennial, a socialist millennial, which uh, animates much of today's discussion, me not being a socialist. Um, this is an uncomfortable conversation in the sense that he and I sort of get stuck into it about uh, what we... Each believe and who's the true small l liberal um ballard started out as the as co-presenting the uh, the breakfast show on triple j i guess that's when he first came to national attention that's a, a national the national youth network that's publicly funded and very popular with your young hipsters and whatnot that was from 2010 to uh 2013 uh, he uh, he left it to focus on stand-up comedy and became a sort of fixture of the Melbourne International Comedy Festival, a headliner at their, in, at their gala, which is broadcast on television and a much-beloved event in Australia. He finally got his own television show in 2017, a nightly show uh, on ABC2, ABC Comedy, the second uh, public broadcast channel called Tonightly with Tom Ballard. Um, it lasted over a year but didn't quite end up nailing it in the ratings and was probably too controversial for people to stomach it was very out there it was a you know if you think of a a kind of a john stewart john oliver Type model of a show. That was the general gist. Um, and it was a huge feather in Tom's hat that he got it. Um, so I won't go on any further about this. I think the rest of the conversation is very self explanatory. Uh, suffice it to say that I, you know, much as I disagree with Tom on so many political issues, I really admire him. And, I, and it, you may not get it from this interview, but he's really, really, really fucking funny. Uh, so I hope you enjoy this little taste of a stout between me and the one and only Tom Ballard. terrible thing. For Does Radio it? <laughs> oh, because it's so squeaky. Oh, it's good, isn't it? Okay. Just don't move. Well, indeed. Just stay perfectly still. Perfectly still at all times. Hello. Hello. So what did you have for breakfast? Um, isn't that always the best uh, question so... to do to measure someone's levels on a microphone? What did you have? It's like saying, you know, what was the last thing you masturbated to? <laughs> <laughs> what
1: kind yeah, of. It's actually the same answer for, for both. Yeah, right, bacon burrito. Right, yeah. <laughs>
0: I there you up go, and ladies break. and gentlemen. That's the kind of quality humor that you can expect from Tom Ballard's new book. It's called I, Millennial, One Snowflake's Screed Against Boomers, Billionaires, and Everything Else. And uh I was just asking you about this quotation on the front, which uh, is from Andrew Bolt, yes. who's a right wing conservative uh commentator. Well, he's in the
1: sensible center. <laughs>
0: You would say that. Would I would. You? Yeah, no, Is I would. Is that wouldn't. what you'd no, say? No, I,
1: I think he has common sense solutions to the does problems he have, facing
0: today. Does he have common sense solutions yeah. to the problems facing today? I'd, I'd say so. You should put that on his book jacket cover. <laughs> and I was asking where where this came from because it says, Andrew, but it says, a true barbarian.
1: Yes. Andrew Bolt.
0: Did he actually say that?
1: He said that about me last year. I had a little to do when I recorded a set, stand up comedy set as part of the Melbourne Comedy Festival. Bala. I remember this. You got in hot water. Hot water. I said I had jokes about uh, people who vote for Liberal Party being lizards, and that um, I don't know they should be sent to Manus Island and live in a privatised aged care facility and live on nothing but job seeker and coal. Very funny stuff. Did that at the gala. It was cut for the ABC broadcast. A journalist who's just you know using all their journalistic integrity mm. and pouring resources into answering the big questions found out about that set and the fact that it was cut. They then reprinted, like wrote down what they thought my act was and published that in the newspaper. (laughs) Was it verbatim? No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't even verbatim. Which is so annoying because another journalist from the same newspaper had been to the gig and reviewed the gig.
0: The thing is it's bad enough if it is verbatim because nothing looks the same on the page as it would be when you're actually doing it. But if if you're going to write it down, make it exact.
1: Get the words right. Get the
0: words right. Maybe run them by you first.
1: And in fact, a bit of the routine which I didn't do at the gala because I do have some level of taste and I do yeah. know what will and won't work at a mainstream audience. Mm. It existed in my hour-long show where when things got particularly dark, talking about nursing homes and COVID. Uh, somehow the journalist thought that I did that joke at the thing. And anyway.
0: So yeah, journal- like, who was the journalist? Who are we talking about oh, here? Oh,
1: I don't know the names. It was in the little spotted section right. or the little gossip section or whatever. Right. Right. No so
0: you're using the word journalist generously. <laughs> <laughs> if it's in one of those parts of the newspaper, I think he
1: used to write for the Australian. I don't think, but he's clearly,
0: it's a human being who has such familiarity with your act that they've taken that they've gotten confused between two different sets.
1: It's well, I would have yeah submitted a a, a recording of the set. I think anyway, whatever happened is that they reported on a, an existing routine, saying that I performed that at the gala when I didn't, and then all these right wing conserv- conservative commentators who, of course, hate the fact that wokeness is killing comedy and you can't yeah. say anything anymore. And everybody yeah. gets so offended. Yeah. We're now getting offended by jokes that that, that I did not tell uh, at a gig that they were not at. Right. Andrew Bolt writes a piece saying that the left likes to present themselves as being kinder. Then along comes Tom Ballard, a true barbarian a true barbarian he writes one of the greatest quotes of all time and i've mm. used that as much as i
0: can okay good so you've put that now he'll love that won't <laughs> he <laughs> he is selling books oh because it does because it's ambiguous about whether he's endorsing the book mm. like you may you could imagine that that's a positive thing that he's saying about the book right. that of all the barbarians you're the truest you <laughs> know what i mean fake like yeah, exactly he's not a phony he's not an Erzatz barbarian is your ballad yeah he's a legit <laughs> Barbarian. And am I uh, correct in believing as you handed me this uh, book and why would I not be correct in believing it? Because why would you lie to me about such a thing that this is the only physical copy in existence? The only one that I have access to. I think in the world, you said, or the universe.
1: There are heaps more. So if I
0: burned this, there'd be no more Tom Ballard book.
1: Please don't. I just haven't got my box yet that I can hand out. So this is your only I did. I spent yesterday signing eight hundred copies. of Is the that thing. right? Yeah.
0: Now, is it true? Is it a true statement of fact, Tom Ballard, that once you once you sign it, then you have to get paid for it? It
1: means that the bookstores can't return they them. They can't
0: send them back. And, and my if they send has them told back. me to sign as many, sign copies. As, many as you can. Because <laughs> I didn't realize the bookstore can always send them back and the, and the publisher will pay them. Right. The publisher will buy back books that aren't sold. Yeah, they got six months. Not to if there's a Tom Ballard scrawl no, in the front of it. If why it's been you?
1: defiled by me writing, why on.
0: haven't you signed this one? I'm going to send this one back and get my money back. <laughs> You'd
1: pay anything <laughs> for that.
0: No, but also I... you can't keep that. I need to take that with me today. Okay, but this has a recommended retail price of probably at least twenty four ninety five, wouldn't it? Great value there. What would the, what would this go for? Do you reckon about thirty
1: bucks? I think thirty bucks. Three hundred fifty pages. Not paying $30.
0: I don't think that's how you measure the quality of
1: <laughs> it's quality well, of a quality. book.
0: Do you remember the line in uh, the producers where the the guy who's a Nazi is trying to defend Hitler against uh, Winston Churchill, and he's saying, and Hitler was a better painter than Winston Churchill. He could paint an entire apartment in one afternoon. Two coats. Two coats. <laughs> that's <laughs> right. So yeah, but Tom Ballard can write an entire book, and he he can write three hundred and fifty pages. Tom, you're short." There's pictures in there too, and there's pictures too. Yeah. So you, this would make you. We don't. Only Proust would be better than you, mm-hmm. and everyone else here have the book back. Thank I'm you very much, me. Josh. I appreciate it. that. Thank you. Uh, so what? What? Why? Why have you? Who's got your goat? Why are you writing angry books? Who hurt you?
1: Um. Well, actually, I'm fine. Which is the annoying bit. Either. I don't have any kind of amazing personal reflection that I've been mm. hardly done by. And even if all the problems that I raise in this book you know, get worse, again, I'll probably be fine. So please relax, listeners. But I'm generally enraged and angry at the state of the world. And I've been thinking about that a lot over the past couple of years that I have developed this somewhat of a reputation that my anger and millennial rage has come through in my stand-up comedy.
0: And much like Andrew Bolt, what you're concerned about is uh, cancel culture.
1: (laughs) And... <laughs> PC gone mad, and, uh, political correctness uh, gone mad. No, all of that no? has faded into insignificance to me. No. What's way more important is the fact that capitalism is going to kill us all and has put us on a path towards now. Wait deception. a second,
0: capitalism is the greatest engine of growth ever devised by mankind, mm. Tom Ballard. Surely you mean the excesses of capital? What, what would you rather have? Uh, communism? <laughs> Why don't you go and live in Venezuela?
1: Well, we're really going through all these, aren't we? <laughs> Um, what do you mean by capitalism then? I mean a specific mode of economic production in which the means of production are privately owned, which it seems to be the most simplest sort of easiest way to sort of lay things out there. Um, that is the economic system under which we live. And but then, then, I,
0: then, my, then my joke criticism of your position becomes less of a joke criticism and more of an actual question, which is what alternative that has actually been tried would you prefer? Well, that has been
1: tried. Well, I mean, you know, uh countries like Scandinavia, in the Scandinavia at the moment, they are still capitalist countries, certainly, but they are what we would more consider social democracies. So Australia, we live in a liberal democracy and there is still certainly, yes, uh, capitalist forces, there's still a free market, yada, 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 yada. But the, the, the scope of things which are, are not handed over to the private market and to the whims and excesses of capitalism is much, much larger. I think the state, the Norwegian state owns something like 70% of all wealth in the in the country.
0: Yeah, but that's just because they have this weird thing where they've got lots of natural resources and so they decided to take a share of the pie for mm. the state and they've got this massive bucket of money sloshing around which is a bit akin to our superannuation. Uh, I mean, obviously it would be better if we also kept some of our mining money yeah, <laughs> as well. I was just sort of saying, uh, okay, but, can
1: I think of any parallels between Australia uh, when it comes to resources? Yeah, and of course maybe it's, some in, bit of
0: cash it's, it's of totally insane. You know, even Alaska, they don't hold on to the money, but they just send everyone a cheque.
1: Yes, yeah, right. right?
0: So Alaska in 2022, every Alaskan got about three thousand six hundred US dollars as just a check from the state government because of all of their oil revenue. So even they, even like in Yankee, in capitalist Yankee land, (laughs) when they have a lot of resources, some of them choose to actually take some, keep some of it for themselves, which is not an idea that Australians have have ever undertaken. Well, Kevin Rudd, a former prime minister, tried to introduce a mining super profits tax and was uh, was rolled and uh, rolled, rolled out of office for trying it. But nonetheless, well, Rex th- Connor
1: under the Whitlam government tried to do something more: is allow the Australian people to own more with revenue. And the Queen initiated a coup, and uh, throughout Gulf Whitlam. So that's not what her happened. Majesty, there. God rest her soul, R.I.P. Um, to but, a real one.
0: But the um, but this, but then it strikes me that your real criticism is not uh, because if you speak to ca- Scandinavian politicians, mm-hmm. uh, setting aside the weirdness of Norway's uh, mining uh, bucket of cash. Um. The actual way that those countries function is that they are still capitalist countries, as you said, in in the sense that the majority of companies are private. The majority of things that are produced are produced by private companies. And they therefore use the engine of capitalism, as we might say, the profit motive to spur ingenuity and innovation and competition. And those things, you, Tom is smiling right now, like these are all just cliches out of an Ayn <laughs> Rand novel. Uh, I'm, like, I'm like suddenly Friedrich Hayek is interviewing him. Uh, but, but this is generally well understood by economists to be the best way to produce uh, um, an increasing standard of living, and to produce stuff. And then what you do with the stuff is the question. And the criticism of overly capitalist or free market societies is that the distribution of all of that stuff is wildly unequal. Yes, And therefore, the Scandinavian countries' solution is, yes, keep the capitalism to produce lots and lots of stuff Mm. because when the state owns everything, you get sclerotic authoritarian regimes. So leave that in the hands of individuals to try to come up with Cool ideas and invent iPhones and so on, and then profit from them. But then the distribution they invent of iPhones, iPhones really,
1: they just had no, the, just like just it entered into their brains, didn't they? Like, oh, let's create an iPhone. They didn't have, you know, in, a massive government intervention, which allowed universities to conduct research and the algorithms rhythms that underpin almost every single innovation on the iPhone, or indeed the technology that allowed us to go to the space or whatever. This was all government owned and wasn't guided by the profit motive at all, what's in any way.
0: Uh, I think I would agree with the cartoon straw man that you're putting up there, <laughs> that yes, the environments in which things like iPhones happen more frequently and uh, the, where the more interesting inventions happen are the ones where individuals are able to uh, compete and strive more freely, such as Silicon Valley. And that that sort of behavior tends to occur less in Belarus and other places where there's high levels of government intervention in the in the
1: economy. But, but hang on, like, let's... So Silicon Valley is just trying to get into space now. Okay, the government did it in nineteen sixties.
0: Yeah, with but no nobody's saying whatsoever. Nobody's saying that you can't coordinate a government to do big things. I mean, that you couldn't, you wouldn't privatise the defence forces. Uh, right, right i mean Something if you want you want to blow shit up or go to the moon then <laughs> you, you know then involved. you can get a government involved all you want and the government and as you say government research has contributed to all kinds of things that the private sector then picks up the ball with and runs on uh but uh, I mean, you only have to compare the ability of NASA to repl- replace the shuttle program with Elon Musk's ability to replace the shuttle program to see a real-life example, side-by-side example of what a dollar buys you if, when the government is directing it and what a dollar buys you when a crazed billionaire is directing it.
1: Y- yes, although Elon Musk's wealth massively propped up by government contracts as well.
0: Well, it- yeah, because the government couldn't do what he can, so the government has to pay him to do it.
1: Well, could, can can the government fundamentally not do what they want? I mean, this is, this is, again, a chapter in privatization in the book. The idea that, okay, we get some innovation in the private sector, sure. But the idea that the that they have an exclusive hold on that and that the private sector and the, the profit motive can produce innovation like Nodi before is just simply not borne out by the facts. You've got a whole bunch of publicly owned companies that were incredibly innovative when it was in public hands. Qantas, one of the first airlines in the entire world to produce around the world um airline, basically invented business class, all this technology, this airline safety technology, had the best safety record in, in the entire world, but it was still government owned. Shinkansen Bullet Train, also uh, developed by the Japanese company when it was state owned. You know, the list is endless. NASA Even in the Soviet, uh, you know, communist Soviet Ah, world. Ah, he's talking about the Soviets now. (laughs) Someone call Andrew Bolt. He's revealed his true colours. Come on in, guys. Haul him out. Indeed. Who Who actually won the space race? you know, when it comes to a whole bunch of LED technology? Oh, well, I think
0: it was a dog, wasn't it? Didn't <laughs> they send up a dog? I think a dog won the space race and pushed some go. buttons and then came plummeting I back to A dog. Yeah, no, I mean, you're right. Uh, look, Qantas uh, was an innovative airline. Of course, it was individual human beings who invented uh, flight, uh, the Wright brothers, and uh, at a time when uh, in the final days of Qantas be, being a state-owned company, uh, the cost of a flight from here to Melbourne was what it would currently cost you to go back and forth to London 70 times Mm. or something. So you don't get a lot of good value out of governments, but governments can, I mean, any entity can invent things if you pour enough money into it. Even I could. You know? (laughs) Even you? Even me. (laughs) Like, if you gave me billions of dollars and you said, Can you figure out how to make a nicer airplane seat? Mm -hmm. I'd be fucking, I'd I'd be all over it. Right, great. I'd be out at the tip. I'd be scrummaging around. I'd find the best Tom Ballard airplane seat ever. But that doesn't mean that's the best way to allocate resources. The best way to allocate resources if you want inventive new things to happen is to get a bunch of creative people in a room together and get them to all squabble over who's going to do the best version of it.
1: Right, which can just, yes, describe the, government or uh, well, no in that's, the private the ca- sector. that's the
0: squabbling bit of ba- and the best bit is the is the private sector analogy okay, but if your government pro- bit is more like top-down collaboration of i'm going to tell you in this department what you have to do
1: well yeah i'm a democratically elected official with in the- which in theory is trying to work towards the public good and the- therefore redirect resources to achieve that particular goal another great example okay um uh cls right the the commonwealth Laboratory Systems. Serum, no CSL rather Commonwealth Serum Laboratories, publicly owned for a long time. World leading innovation, creating anti you know anti venom uh, vaccines. Publicly owned, obviously by the Commonwealth for a very long time until the Keating government privatizes it in the early nineties. Now, since then, it's ex- you know it's extremely valuable. It's a multi billion dollar company. CEO is one of the highest paid uh, CEOs in the country. Well, guess what? CSL Limited, the privatized version of it, starts stops producing certain things because it's not, it's not as profitable. Um, starts jacking stuff away. Like we, we don't, you know, we could make starts this. jacking
0: stuff away. What
1: are you, what, you're r- lowering the standard of this program. Starts junking. Junking is a better term. Okay. Starts t- t- touching their junk and jacking it away. No, start junking. <laughs> And shelving a whole bunch of bacon and egg sandwich in front of him, medicines because its entire motivation now is to increase shareholder wealth as opposed to serve the public good. Yes,
0: so I mean that's an interesting example because I think even even a wild eyed uh, conservative might concede that there are areas where you want uh, government to address market failures, for example, and that maybe like there are things like our investment in the development of antibiotics where there's no money in it um, but it's important yeah it's weird isn't it <laughs> right there right. are things that uh, there are things that drug companies won't do unless there's lots unless there, unless there's government coordination there right. are things like i mean a fire department is a is a classic kind of example great, that a libertarian would give It used to be privatized in, yeah. in
1: London and and New York right you used to have a system It used to be private you used to buy your own insurance and then mm-hmm. people very quickly realise that hey, fires don't actually check paperwork. Yeah, so and it's not great if your neighbour doesn't have yeah, that's,
0: fire insurance. That's sort of
1: how it works. Yeah. Now, addressing or the market-
0: lighthouse, the lighthouse is another example that you always get in econ one hundred and one. Oh yes. Uh, you know who's going to? How are you going to make the ships that benefit from the lighthouse pay for the lighthouse? Right. Uh, and actually, again, that that was initially a free market thing where they would tack they would levy the ships to build the lighthouses. But, right. Nonetheless, becomes a, 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 a like a hoary old example of why you need state intervention. Right. You are making me more and more libertarian. I think I just want to create an Iron Randian free market uh, <laughs> country now and just show you how productive it would be. Oh, yeah, me well, and my first class airplane suite.
1: Yeah, where's where, where, and where's the example of that actually working? By the way,
0: mm. Mm. maybe
1: like Kansas. <laughs> 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 you know, because again, well, you know, to the extent, it, it, to that- the same, I'll oh, wear the "Hey, socialism's never been tried" is a very weak defense. Obviously, it has. Obviously, we have uh, historical examples that left us people obsess about constantly. They never stop thinking about what actually happened in, in Soviet, Soviet um, uh, Russia and you know how these systems work, the good and the bad of, of these systems, and how they failed. Sure, but I am yet to um, uh, hear exactly the the. Free market libertarian utopia. Someone like Peter Thiel wants to build it out of the ocean. I don't think he's got around to that yet.
0: <laughs> yeah, I have the same criticism of my libertarian friends when they're like, you know, we should, everything would be so much more equitable if we could get rid of. Social welfare systems, because mm-hmm. then it would be up to the individual to make sure that their own charity comes to the fore, instead of having their, uh, you know, generosity co-opted by government institutions. And I'm like, okay, where has that ever happened? Has that ever happened? Where yeah. has that ever happened? Right. That does not happen. Mm. Um, but uh, I would similarly uh, say that, uh, you know, one reason why so many countries have settled on a predominantly free market economic system in the past couple of hundred years uh, is because to the extent that you allow that to work, it does have a good track record of producing innovation and producing prosperity. And it's not a coincidence that the countries that have have deployed that economic system the best are the ones that have been the most incredibly wealthy and the ones that have been the most bureaucratic and the most government guided have tended to decay.
1: Well, there's also been the thing that those wealthy countries that are free market and capitalist haven't really let other countries have a decent crack at, say, something that's a little less capitalistic, for example. And I mean, that's, again, when you're looking over the history of the 20th century and, and what actually went down to the Cold War, you realise, hang on, how much how much did Chile get to try out socialism? Because as soon as a democratic socialist was elected in Allende, what do you know? You've got the CIA, you've got Nixon saying, this cannot be allowed to succeed. We want to make the economy scream, and eventually destabilized that administration so much, uh, w- with a bit of help from uh, Australian uh, security intelligence mm. Air forces as well. That the they... first
0: nine <laughs> they... eleven, it was you know it was on nine eleven the coup. Oh really? The Allende coup was on September eleventh, nineteen seventy three. Oh, an yeah. interesting piece of.
1: I did not know. Uh,
0: that. An interesting tidbit of information. Yes, when they <laughs> when Pinache, it was. I mean, for a Ch- if you're a Chilean, like that was worse than nine sure. eleven. You ended up having thirty years or something of a brutal dictator. Like yes throwing people out of buildings for disagreeing with him yeah not pretty not yeah. pretty um but anyway so let's put aside economics then culturally speaking uh what's uh what's got tom's goat well this should be a segment shouldn't it we should do a segment we should do already a segment called what's got tom's goat and we'll have a little jingle at the beginning and then you'll hear. <laughs> i'll be like what's got your goat this week tom
1: on the culture front well it's interesting because I suppose I mean what this bu- book is hopefully explaining in me charting is my evolution or my my drift further left from where I was in 2015 2016. So well, where were you there? Well always a bleeding heart lefty progressive gabo yeah. of yeah. course. yeah. Um, you know, I cared about things like the environment. I cared about gay rights. I cared about uh, refugees. Uh, the, uh, human rights was a big part of my childhood. My, my parents, both members of Amnesty International, and through their example, I kind of learned all that. Then Trump gets elected. Twenty sixteen is the craziest year of all time. I start asking some bigger questions, and those questions eventually lead me to a political economic critique of yeah, Western capitalist societies. And so right. every sort of you follow the rabbit hole, and things do eventually keep coming back to economic questions and the way that our economic system places a whole bunch of money and wealth and power and influence in the hands of very few people and the fact that we live in a class society. Now, once you you know swallow that red pill for a while or you follow that for a while, you you start to view a lot of culture war things as being very silly, as distractions, as products of our class society, and often, as instruments used by the people who actually run stuff to distract us, right so yeah. if we're if we 're fighting along identity politics lines then we 're not actually focused on the fact that billionaires kind of run the whole show
0: well then why, are, why do so many people on the left seem so obsessed with the culture wars
1: well, now left now you talk about liberal left or are you 're talking about like socialist left, hard left because I well, think what 's the like-
0: difference i 'm about the i 'm talking about the people who spend a lot more time being worried about. Uh, whether or not there's adequate representation and diversity and uh, welcomes to country for indigenous, uh, you know, land recognition Mm. and whether or not people are being uh, addressed by the correct pronouns and whether or not we're making sure that nobody does any reports about transgender detransitioners and whether or not, you know, that kind of what conservatives would call the cancel culture Mm. left is a cohort of society that spends a lot more time talking about those issues than they do talking about inequality
1: or talking about, justice certainly now and this i think is where we'll we'll probably get into some some big disagreements but to me that is a version of liberalism okay that is uh uh, social liberalism that is left liberalism which is something that i used to very much subscribe to with liberalism a political ideology and tradition with its focused on on the individual okay and so individual liberty out out of that grows identity politics and that is obviously Still hegemonic in Australia, in the UK, in the US, most people are liberals of some some flavor, or liberalism is sort of the bedrock of a lot of our the dominant political ideology of our time, particularly in the neoliberal era, right? So when you migrate a little bit further left, as I have, or you've you know land up being a socialist, you. You, yeah, you, I think you see through a lot of that stuff. Now, you don't want to be an arsehole. No, I, 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 I think you there's want to a, there
0: them. is a terminological confusion which will confuse a lot of people here because there tends to be... A, a, generally, when we talk about this stuff, there tends to be a, a group of people who call themselves liberals or small-l liberals yes. or classical liberals mm-hmm. or maybe libertarians who align broadly with a, an idea of uh, culture as being based on the individual, uh, on the sanctity of the individual. Mm. They will... Respect things like an individual bucking the groupthink of their tribe. They'll see history as at its best when it respects the um, the sort of autonomy of the individual and mm. allows people to break out of customs and conformism and express their, their themselves however they want to and get jiggy with whoever they want to <laughs> and have the maximum amount of freedom that is compatible with uh, a stable civilization. Mm. And they will contrast that sense of liberalism as against tribalism, identity politics, groupthink, mandates on what you can say, Mm. social expectations, conformism, and they'll see that latter trend as growing at the moment as we no longer think of an individual Indigenous Australian as a person who's capable of speaking and thinking for themselves, Mm. but rather they have to be a cast member in our grand narrative (laughs) about the justice, you know, about the irredeemable racism of this continent and the original sin of its invasion by European colonial powers, to take but one example, Mm. uh, or that, you know, that that pride has to be foremost in people's minds in their acceptance of LGBTQIA plus people, and that that terminology is terribly important, and, right. and that we should all be filling out diversity trackers on our radio shows to make sure that we have the right number of groups of people, right? This is a way of thinking about things which is about groups. Right. It's about identity groups. It's about tribes. It's about who has been discriminated against, who's been shat on historically, how do we elevate those people? How do we make sure that people who have traditionally held power, white, straight men, I brought down a peg. Mm. It's gr- it's thinking about power structures in terms of groups. That's illiberal. That's an illiberal way of looking at the world. Some people even call it like a form of cultural sort of neo-maoism or marxism in the sense that you that you're viewing the world as a battle between groups, the way that Marx had an economic explanation,
1: right. Mao a had class. various
0: cultural, yes, yes. various Explation cultural explanations yes. about uh, you know, for Mao, it was like academics as a group pitted against workers as a group. You know, for Pol Pot, it was like, if you wear glasses, then we're going to execute you because you're the cohort of, <laughs> you know, you're the cohort of fancy persons who ruins everything.
1: Let's, uh, let's lose the nerds, guys. Yeah. So I
0: think you're going to run into problems just in terms of communicating what you're talking about. How, how, do, how do you reconcile those? Sure. Two well, okay. Notions? So that's,
1: so yes. Okay. So level of groups and collectivism based along identity lines. Okay. That, this is the critique that comes through. So, I'm a you know I believe in collectivism, right? As as a socialist, who I I've, I, I struggle to call myself a Marxist because I haven't read like the books, but I've read the summaries, <laughs> and I'm like I, I think I get the vibe. <laughs> You've read books that
0: are shorter than your own 350 <laughs> page book. This isn't as long that, as Capital? Yeah, <laughs> no, but it's longer than a Communist Manifesto. You that's could at true. least read that one. I read that I, one. Read that, yes, I've I read that. I read that. Yes, I read that one when I was about 15. I read that so, one. I mean, that's all right. He's a smart guy.
1: There weren't pictures though. In no. my book, there are pictures and a lot more swear oh, words.
0: Oh, but did you have you seen those picture books of Karl Marx as well? There are ones with oh, like yeah, a, a little cartoon of him with his big bushy moustache <laughs> and his eyebrows, like right <laughs> hunched over a a, a a pad and pen writing. <laughs> Uh, okay, so you so as a so, collectivist, so,
1: yes. So collectivist on on class basis, right? So there right. is a leftist critique of that same identity politics that you're talking about, and the leftist sort of says, yes, this, these ideas of um, of liberation often adopted a whole lot of this kind of socialist class politics language about liberation and oppression, as you say. But if you aren't talking about class, if you sincerely think that uh you know a, a beyonce and a working class african-american person has the same experience of life living in society under capitalism then you're not seeing the full picture and certainly in in the states all right and let's be honest a whole bunch of our cultural conversation in australia stems from these kind of battles in the yeah. United states by by twitter and such and culture um the liberals, which are overwhelmingly social liberals in the kind of in the left left wing tradition, in the kind of you know FDR kind of vibe, what I would just generally describe as neoliberals, but the left are uh, assess- obsessing, as you say, around identity issues to the detriment of an of a class analysis, which is much more interesting to me. And I think socialists. generally. Yes,
0: right. I mean, th- many of my actual left wing friends who are more left-wing like you are who are not obsessed with the culture wars Mm. but want actual economic justice for um for people yes um and they may not go all the way to, to to socialism and the government ownership of uh of the means of production but they'll go fairly far in saying like we have to do a better job of making sure that uh you know retrenched coal miners in appalachia have have a future and have health care and have you know taken care of yes uh they will regard that what you're calling the sort of liberal uh kind of uh, culture war left as the illiberal left as like yeah a, a left that is not that is defiantly not liberal because it's not about individuals it's about It's about groups.
1: Yes, yes, and I understand that confusion. And perhaps you know I'm not fully qualified enough. I mean, I just just wrote a book with some funny pictures (laughs) of me as a baby. But you know, I understand what you mean by the illiberal left in that it's allocating people into groups, and there's certainly a section of identity politics which does that. But I would also argue that is an identity politics based on liberating the individuals. That is, that is, viewing their individual freedom on on a group basis. Yes, because groups, because there are, because it's certainly true. That certain groups, particularly minorities, sexual and gender and class minorities, have been, broadly speaking, treated very poorly throughout our our society, right? And so that same liberalism that would initially lead, say, Martin Luther King to campaign for um, equality before the law, which was a huge part of the civil rights struggle, is, is a form of liberalism. Yeah, absolutely. But then he goes further. Towards the end of his career just as before he gets assassinated, he starts making some bigger structural critiques about the economic system of capitalism and the Vietnam War, okay? Mm, mm-hmm. and, and describes himself as something of, of a democratic socialist before, before he dies. And liberals today don't like to talk about that because that, right. that's a little too right. class war But that's a very, very interesting part of his evolution. And I think it's a big part of lots of people, like, again, lots of people I talk to sort of say, yeah, I used to care, like, looking back, I used to care about all this other stuff and used to think that that was where, that was what politics was, was fighting racism and sexism and such, all very important battles. But the, the missing element was who has money, who has power, yeah, yeah. how economic structures determine.
0: This. I mean, you, now you're sort of singing from my hymn sheet, if that's a, a way. up. Is that a metaphor, or are you singing from my songbook? Or maybe you're praising, maybe you're writing my hymn sheet, or maybe you're reading from my song list. Speaking your language. Uh, in the sense that uh, I think a lot of the current culture wars are. Of uh, vi- people engaging in them are victims of being distracted from the actual elephant in the room, and the elephant in the room is what I call class, mm. but what you might call capitalism or inequality, yeah, class, absolutely, or whatever the, the class,
1: class, a class system which arises out of capitalism. Uh,
0: yes, and the particular form in which that class is well, I don't, I'm not, I'm not sure I would grant you that because I think class, I think class broadly understood. Is a fact of human nature, and not even just human nature—a fact of just social arrangements in general—and that the Soviet Union had cl- had its class, and feudal societies had their classes, and I don't know of any society or even any group of animals that don't have that don't form themselves into some sort of class where one group is trying to hoard things from other <laughs> from other groups. I think it's just part of the Come the nature of scarcity. No unless you have an unlimited quantity of abundance then you're going to find uh animals compete animals and plants competing over things and that the, and the ones who are more successful at gaining things and at being fitter so to speak are going to find ways of aggregating themselves and helping each other
1: yes well helping each other is the the key is the key part i mean yeah that's not to say that yes certain certain society you know people different people in different societies perform different roles but whether or not that's one people getting you know everything one group one section of that group getting absolutely everything or or the but that's not how class works
0: one doesn't get everything
1: well no well so, so so class is an interesting interesting thing and i and i do think this is quite accurate within the marxist sense when we're talking about class we're talking about your relationship to production. that's how marx tends to think about it okay so not yeah just, not just an income bracket not just you yeah know, no i'm talking about i'm talking
0: about a cult i'm talking about a, a culture of class i suppose uh, and i guess we're kind of talking about two things because it, obviously if you're talking about animals and you're not talking about culture so much you're talking about economics you're talking about resources right. but let's just stick to the cultural question of class because i think some one thing that's happening is that there's a there's and this now this is an economic question as well, but there's an economically privileged elite class of intellectuals at the moment who don't conceive of themselves as a privileged class Mm. who spend a lot of time speaking on behalf of quote unquote disadvantaged minorities and enforcing the codes of their own sort of university educated, uh, uh, elite speak on everybody else. And they are misdiagnosing, uh, class problems as culture war problems. So what I mean is like there are a lot of, all of the people who are causing all of these culture, cancel culture issues and stuff like that. I mean, it's not actual trans people who are causing the culture wars about transgender issues. Mm. Most trans people who I know are not huge sticklers about your use of pronouns. The people who are huge sticklers about your use of pronouns are largely university-educated white people who aren't part of the trans community who are imposing a kind of class warfare on everybody because they think that they're socially enlightened and that they're fighting the the good fight. And that's true. I mean, every single Indigenous Australian I know is much more welcoming and open-minded and thoughtful about uh, diversity mandates and expressions of diversity and the voice to parliament and what that should look like. Than the rigid white saviors who are coming out of our educational institutions are, so that 's sort of what I mean by class there's like a there is a cultural and and it's actually it's actually a way of looking down on people of lower classes right i mean it's a way to basically write off people who aren't university educated who might have slightly more retrograde ideas that were widely accepted three minutes ago in, in in historical time as being dinosaurs who you don't have to listen to and you don't have to bring into the national conversation. Mm. Uh, yeah, so I don't know whether you think that's a I, thing.
1: I recognise the idea that it's this 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 culture war used as a form of class war and when you When there is a lack of class analysis within people's critique of society, then yes, you do you a um, tendency to view um, matters of culture and interpersonal behavior as the most important thing, as opposed to the broader, bigger economic picture. That's true. Mm. And look, academia, intellectuals have played a role throughout capitalism to either justify the status quo, to... Sci- scientifically diagnose or to excuse things as they are and, and say no everything's fine here or this particular class of people are beneath us so we can exploit them for our own economic advantage that's there's a long rich history of that that's for sure um but uh hmm yeah that'll do <laughs> <laughs> i was like i was like
0: i don't think he has no I, I don't know what we disagree there. with here no no i don't think i'm not sure we do disagree May, yeah. maybe there's a slight disagreement about it, the economics of class but probably not a terribly interesting one without looping back to the questions about communism and, and capitalism yeah. but one thing that i'm also interested in picking sorry your brain i will about, say this i will say this so yeah. the
1: work, work capitalism is a really good point of it right so yeah. at the moment so to me the left the socialist left and the right could both diagnose woke capital as a thing? This is, you know, massive figures of capital and corporations adopting the language of identity politics and liberation. Yeah, um, you know, Nike releasing a, an ad say, saying that Black Lives Matter, and everyone and the left says this is ridiculous. This is capitalism just trying to profit off a social movement, and capital has no value. It no no personal values or integrity or anything anything like that. It has no moral philosophy its entire motivation is to maximise profits. That's all they care about. That's how we should view their actions as a, as a corporation. People on the right seem to think that, oh, capital's gone woke, and they really believe it, right? Like someone, someone like Peter Dutton seems to think these massive corporations generally are taken over by actual committed communists and Marxists who want to try and pollute your kids' minds. But he doesn't really believe that, does well, he? That's what he says. Does he? I think. I think there are generally people, particularly on the. On, doesn't he
0: also see that it's a stupid charade? But he just doesn't think that that corporations should play that game.
1: It should do that. Yes. Okay. Well, there certainly seems to be some people in the right wing commentary that seem to be sincerely concerned that either the Marxists took over education, and so everyone rising to the top of corporate Australia is secretly a Marxist.
0: I think those people are the same people who are on the blurb jacket of your book uh, <laughs> calling you a barbarian, Yes, the towering Tom. public intellectuals of Australian society
1: today. Anyway, the, so that's you know, an example of how that, yeah, the end result of that culture war. Yeah, and I totally, yeah. and I take your point, I reckon most people in the broadly defined working class who are trying to just survive and put up with the bullshit of living in a capitalist society see all of that stuff as, as nonsense. Yeah.
0: And, and I mean, the people who are imposing the wokeness on these corporations from inside are precisely the elite classes that I'm talking about, sure. and that I'm disparaging. These are the people who, you know, you will go on the, on Pride Day, it's always interesting. There's a Twitter feed that will compare the different uh, Twitter. Um, like, you know how you can change, corporations can change what their image is on Twitter, obviously, or on social media for depending on the day. Yep. So if it's a special day then blah, blah, blah. So you can compare them in different jurisdictions. And on Pride Day, you can look at all of the big companies in their, you know, in rich uh, developed democracies and they've all got the rainbow flag and then you look at what they're doing on their middle eastern <laughs> accounts Sure, yeah and Martin of course they is, don't yeah of course they don't have a rainbow flag no. you know on their lebanon on the, the version let alone the uh you know the saudi totally. uh, version so there's incredible cynicism and and i don't think it's just that they're that they think that they're cynically co-opting the language of social justice. I actually think that they think that they're doing something good, and it's that delusion which I would say is a kind of a class delusion. It's a kind of a, it's an elite cultural class, which thinks that it is the. Uh, doing God's work on earth. It's almost like a clergy.
1: Well, it I mean, it doesn't matter whether they believe it or not, really. It's not, it's not doing I suppose it's not. not doing yeah. But Mardi Gras is a great example of this, right? Mardi Gras started by radical socialists and communists. Yeah, A protest in the street that was illegal. They got bashed by the cops. Yes, they were seeking liberation because they were oppressed on the base of their identity, right? But they also had a bigger vision of transformation and liberation and could see... The bigger system that capitalism is also ultimately the thing that oppresses all of us, and the thing that will liberate us, or that the thing where you seriously—some well, of them thought
0: that. They didn't all think that. I've spoken to uh, to people who were marching back then who just wanted freedom. They just wanted to be treated like everybody else. They wanted to be able to get—they wanted to be able to rent well, apartments. To- they wanted to be able to get mortgages without being discriminated against. They wanted their relationship to be recognized by the state. They wanted to not be able to not be excluded from going into a hospital when their partner was dying you know, because they're not considered to be a a, a spouse. They, I'm talking
1: about specifically the communists and the like there were people living in communist communes and yes. uh, all, all queer, you know, claims. But those ones particularly they're kind right. of radical po- radical politics that yeah, played yeah. a huge role in that initial, you know, seventy eight um protest and those and those those bashings. Okay. So So, you know, cut to today in which there's a Colgate float. I remember watching Mardi Gras seeing a Colgate float and Delta Goodrum dancing on the top of it and going, this doesn't seem quite right. Absolutely. There's a level of progress in there, which is fine, but also this the detachment between the view that capitalism oppresses all of us and it is capitalism that – you know, is responsible for fueling racism and discrimination against queer people. You know, it is the economic system that's used to do all that. Like, I I think that was part of the initial vision of Mardi Gras that has, in the neoliberal era, those kind of things have been detached. And so now politics is about the liberation of the individual and, and interpersonal discrimination as opposed to a broader critique of how our society is organized and what that means for people. Me. Yeah, I
0: don't I don't want to get bogged down by defending capitalism every time you uh, you throw you throw it in there, but I will I will just make the Do you the like his book? That the, That's all this will, book is I will just I'll just, <laughs> just make the point that uh, you you know So many of the civil rights uh, movements throughout history, including the gay one, have based their ideas, have based their objections to discrimination on smaller liberal ideas about liberal flourishing. And those are the smaller liberal ideals of the same people who developed capitalism as an economic system. It's about individuals treating each other as individuals rather than groups being at war with each other. But I know that that doesn't comport with a Marxist interpretation of history, but in a practical sense... Uh, the greatest The greatest freedoms have been found in the societies which also had free markets. We don't have you know it's it's not a coincidence I don't think that dozens and dozens and dozens of times through Western Europe and North America and Australia and so on, you have free market systems that are also the places where you find the greatest uh, respect for human flourishing for the individual.
1: Are people truly free in a capitalist society? And if they're homeless, or they can't afford to pay the rent, or they're working multiple jobs, or they're being exploited by their boss and sexually abused at work? Well, we, were, ta- well, we work were talking. Well, we were talking
0: about being free from discrimination, from legal discrimination on the
1: basis of your sexuality. Well, exactly. Exactly. This is the so right. So this is liberalism. So we're all equal before the law. You take out all the the. The discrimination on of, of the books, right? And so we're all equal for the law, but you're still living under a capitalist society in which there's massive inequality. Yeah, yeah. So no, no I'll, grant, I'll grant you that. Right. I mean,
0: but it's just that you're you know, in the alternative, you've either got the you've either got inequality. And you're not being discriminated against on the basis of your sexuality, or you've got inequality and you are being discriminated against on the basis of your sexuality. So I'd rather just not have the discrimination on the basis of my no, sexuality. That's, that's and weird... then we can resolve the economic question as an economic Oh, then we can
1: question. just get- Okay, right, right. Once uh, we fix all the laws, then we'll just get to the economic No, no, thing. you can
0: do both at the same time. But where <laughs> where is this society which has had both a respect for individual rights and, you know, a refusal to discriminate against people on the basis of being uh, of their minority status? And also uh, egalitarianism and economic equality. Well, where I, is this? Where is this?
1: Well, again, Tom if we, Land. If we come back to the social democracy of Scandinavia, yes, I mean, you know, any socialist is like liberalism plus, right? So there are all these liberal values that socialists will totally agree on and say, yes, of course, you know, these these things that we treasure under liberalism is is fine, but the when you when you stop at the uh, supposed freedom and liberation of the individual and don't tackle the class question then that's when you have a society with massive inequality and and injustice in that respect right so in these social democracies yes they still have free markets and a level of capitalism but when the scope of capitalism is reduced okay when when there is greater um state intervention and ownership and collectivism greater worker power you know it is no coincidence that that in those societies which have to an extent gone somewhat beyond the free market, liberal capitalist societies of the UK, U.S. and Australia. You have less inequality. These are happier and freer societies. Yes, yes. Yeah, Yeah, but they
0: just couldn't be without capitalism. They wouldn't be without their free market producing all their goods.
1: Why, Why? Why do you say that?
0: Well, because all, I mean, all that Scandinavian, the only thing that sets Scandinavian countries apart from, other failed social socialist or communist countries is the fact that they have well functioning free markets. That's the well functioning free markets produce all of the goods that they're then able to give to the people who they want to give them to.
1: And the the only way you can produce any goods of anything is is through the well. Compromise. It seems to be.
0: I mean, so, it it <laughs> does seem to be. Every other place that tries to do it that tries to seize all the means of production and have the government do it themselves to then disperse it just seems to suffer from a lack of incentives a lack of innovation a kind of sclerosis over time things start decaying you do seem to need people running things who have a bit of nouse and get up and go and a bit of chutzpah and a little bit of an idea of things getting better rather than just being functionaries inside a, a bureaucracy to make uh, yeah to to make progress i don't know where i don't know where else well, We're they're looking right. to okay. so this as, is as you, an example you get of... to the
1: point where you sort of say, well, we are entering into the, you know, socialism has never been tried conversation in which, you know, the vision for a better society, the frustration with the status quo is the question of, is this sincerely the best that that we the best way to organize our society? This is seriously the best that we can do when you look around the, the massive inequality in our society, when you look at the extraordinary. Well, not our
0: society, the ones you're talking about, like Sweden or Denmark or something. Yes. I mean, that may be as good as we can do right now. (laughs) That's what I'm saying. I mean, it may be. Because, I mean, the retort to any other claim would be the Churchillian one of like, those are the best, those are the best society. I mean, sorry, those are the worst systems apart from all the others. Uh,
1: Okay. You know what
0: I mean? Like it's if you compare something to the to the ideal that Tom Ballard has created in his head, it's always going to fall short. But, but if you compare but, it to actual things that have been tried many, 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 many times in lots of places throughout history. We have hundreds of countries around the world, all of which have tried different variations of levels of state involvement, levels of Marxism, various ways of arranging themselves, various respect for individual rights or not respect for individual rights, various relationships between tribes, power sharing arrangements in places like Lebanon, between sects and religious groups. I mean, the ones that you would want, that you, Tom Ballard, would want to live in tend to be the ones. That have that have a, that have a, a sort of small L liberal traditional ideal that was developed in Western Europe and in the UK and inherited by North America and and Australia, of a respect for individual rights, a respect for property rights, a broadly free market generation of goods and services, which then get distributed by government and. You're looking at me like this is a, this is a new idea.
1: Well, I just thought, I don't know what the idea is here. So we just say okay, we're we're done. I mean, politics is about changing society for the better. Okay, so if we look at our society, the frustrations with Australia today, the Australia that my generation has inherited, you know, what 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 the the questions you ask yourself is like, what should be changed to make it a better and more equal society? Mm. Okay, and if if we agree that you know the Scandinavian model is a more equal, better society for people. So the 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 idea to move Australia from a liberal democracy to a social democracy, which is really all that you know any leftist movement in this country could seriously hope for in the in the near term. Okay, that's ultimately the program of say the Australian Greens, the social social democratic party. I think even the most committed, you know, socialist or communist would be like. The reforms that often people are calling for in the near future outside of an actual revolution yeah. is sincerely pushing people further, further to a model in which the market dominates less of our lives as a society today, right? Now, the resistance to that from Australian capitalism and the Australian political status quo will be extremely fierce. Oh, totally. Yes. I
0: mean, and completely irrational. No, I mean, that's fine. But then my advice would just be don't alienate potential allies by getting distracted by invoking the evils of capitalism because – uh, it's, it just sounds like then you're asking for more than you actually do want. Because I mean, if you want to, if you want just the policy of the Greens to be implemented, then that's fine. I mean, you've got you've already got twenty percent of Australians on board, right? But you're going to lose a lot of the twenty percent if you're like, oh, and by the way, capitalism is responsible for racism. Because then you go like, well, hang on, what? Wait, I do I do want a, I do want a little dose of productivity in my
1: world still. <laughs> Productivity. There will be no productivity <laughs> under socialism. No, it'll be reduced. If, we'll not, go for a four-day week. That'd be yeah. good.
0: <laughs> That'd be good. What interests me about this whole liberal idea, Tom, is the, so the, the reason why I think and we had lunch recently, and, I, and you said, I said, so would you call yourself a liberal? And I was like, yeah. And you were like, I was like, I just said that I was a member of the KKK. <laughs> <laughs> you know like so would you call yourself a pedophile yeah but i mean i only no, shag I'm kids on occasion but the but but the what interests me is that the reason why i would say that i'm a liberal mm. is has very little to do with economics because i think the basic economics are settled uh i don't think you agree with that but i I think the you know the the most left-wing people in Scandinavia would broadly agree with the most right-wing people in America that you want some component of private ownership and property rights in 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 your economic mix. Um so I don't think that's the liberal question. For me the liberal question why I think what I value about liberalism is the kind of the the energising idea that ultimately everyone should be free to do and believe whatever they want to and the fact that things are offensive to people shouldn't matter, the fact that the church or the state is going to object or capital is going to object shouldn't matter, that people should be able to... <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean, to me, to me, liberalism stands... It shouldn't matter. What What does it mean? If capital doesn't like what you're saying... And use the it power not, to stop you saying that or to sideline you as much as possible. Yes,
0: it should not be able to. And well, we it does. should push back. Yes, and we as liberals should push back against that because that would be a kind of corporatist or mercantilist like form of oppression. Uh, and so liberalism to me as a as a spirit rather than like an economic system is a spirit of uh, of rebellion, of anti-authoritarianism, of of kind of pluckish determination and, uh, it's a spirit of Galileo. It's a spirit of Copernicus. It's a spirit of the enlightenment. It's a spirit of rebels throughout history who have bucked trends and who have told, uh, bossy authority figures to go fuck themselves. Mm -hmm. That's what liberalism means to me in a cultural sense. And that's why I think of the woke as being as illiberal as fascists are illiberal on the right and you are someone who who fits that mold perfectly i mean i can't think of anyone in australian entertainment who as gleefully and successfully punctures the bourgeoisie and the norms right of accepted polite discourse as you do and you walk that line like a masterful tightrope walker of just being on the right side of acceptability so that you're not <laughs> hounded out of town whilst also saying things that are extremely provocative yes. to your audiences in a way that will still endear you to them somehow and have these middle-class property-owning boomers laughing at your jokes at their expense. <laughs> so what is that to you if not liberal? Like what what is that and why is my, am I just misguided about terminology there
1: I mean if you want to be a rebel and and and, 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 a, and a and um someone who yeah gives the middle finger to the status quo and questions things I mean you know like socialists people who have critiqued capitalism are are the ultimate totally rebels.
0: until they get into power and in which at which point they become conformists what do you mean well again we're going to go back to the yeah but socialism hasn't really been tried yet but most countries that have proclaimed themselves to be socialist countries or communist countries have not had the same respect for uh, dissent as smaller liberal countries do.
1: Right, which is just like, well, yes, there's all, there's no argument here. All the stuff that you listed, individual freedom, that these are all great things, right, for us to be free and for us to um, pursue the things that we want to do and to be happy and to have our basic material needs met to live a fulfilling... Life free from the pressures that are so oftenly put up, put upon us under a capitalist system. These are things that we agree on. That the the socialist departs with you from from the liberal analysis when when the liberal refuses to engage with the class question. I and guess what and I'm saying is, to recognize- socialists aren't as fun as you. Why are you fun? <laughs>
0: <laughs> See, the
1: word socialist is barely back to the point where people think, I don't know, people God, who. I'm Anthony not talking Albanese about Demo- I'm, is a socialist. No, well.
0: I'm not talking about Anthony Albanese and I'm not talking about democratic socialists who wanted to become more like Denmark. I'm talking about the socialists who I went to uni with who want a revolution <laughs> right. and who are very bossy and self-important. And, are, and frankly, if they did get into power, they would be fucking authoritarians. <laughs> You're not that. No, well, then elect me. Vote for me, everyone. <laughs> Vote one
1: time. I don't know. I can't But where answer. does There's your dissent come everywhere. from
0: then? Like, where does your sense of, I don't know, Well, anti-conformism come yes, from? Yes,
1: well, I mean, for me, you know, realising that I was not like all the other boys and that I liked uh, being a big old gay, and just for me, and I know this is not true for everyone, but immediately put me somewhat at odds with, you know, received wisdom and the way things are set up. I was never particularly religious, always viewed religion through the prism of initially being like, oh, those are the people who hate me for being gay. I found I was clearing out my, um, my parents' uh, shed a few weeks ago and found like some old school forms. And when I went to high school, I had to fill out a, we had religious education at my public high school for some reason, I had to fill out a form. And I said, uh, you know, what do you think of God and religion? And the only thing I wrote was, uh, I've not really just got nothing against anyone who does believe in God. I strongly disagree with the way the church approaches homosexuality. In year seven, four years before mm. I came out. So immediately you yeah put yourself at odds with the way things are run. I guess, you know, I sort of came of age politically in the age of John Howard. So there's all these conservatives of the power there. They always he seem was bad. a long
0: serving conservative uh, prime minister, yes. the right prime minister in Australia.
1: War on Terror is rolling out as well. And like this all seems really wrong and doesn't seem to be like the way things should go. This seems bad. George Bush seems like a bit of an idiot. So I think, you know, initially, yeah, just by the nature of being the son of uh, two labor voting slash human rights enthusiasts and public school teachers and my parents and realizing I'm gay, it immediately puts you at odds with all the the way that things are supposed to run, I think. And just every time society tells you this is the way things are supposed to go, you go, hang on, I'm going to take that with a grain of salt.
0: And speaking of conformism and individualism, uh, in light of what you were saying earlier about like the pink dollar and sort of, you know, like the... The gay washing, I suppose, of corporate uh, of the corporate world. What was your relationship to gayness when you were seven? When you were in year seven, and you were writing that about the church? Well, like,
1: I mean, again, that's before I come out. I no, I know, but out. but, yes, but you yes. st-
0: it must be starting to to bubble up in your head, yes. right? That there's this thing called gay. Yes. there's a community called gay. Yes, they do a big Mardi Gras every year. Yeah, right. They have some television shows, I guess, like <laughs> Will and Grace or something, or like Ellen has come out probably at this point, right? Right, and Did you find that to be a welcoming
1: vision or an alienating one? Oh, it was more, it was, well, at that point it was like, I don't want anything to do with gay. I don't want to be gay. Do not want to be gay. Pretty sure I I appear to be gay based on the thoughts coming into my head. (laughs) Do not want to be gay. Eventually by year 10, I'm going, this isn't going away. I guess I'm gay. That's sad, but I guess I'll have to deal with that. And then eventually, you know, getting to a point of, acceptance and love and being like oh you can be amazing to be gay that's actually Mm. that's totally fine wouldn't be straight for quids yeah so it's actually it's it's something that i embrace and over time eventually learn but i will say i think and you and i share this in some way a a, initially a level of an alienation or not seeing myself in the queer community necessarily and and as, as as a gay man i wasn't particularly camp and wasn't into all the things stereotypically associated with camp gay
0: men yeah yes i found it a very uh, oppressive and strange uh behemoth mm. the, the world of gayness uh, and i was i was attracted to girls which which was a, an impediment to my like self-realization because uh, the, that's one of the worst things you can do if you're gay right? <laughs> be attracted to girls They're really i'm surprised we've let you say the car oh man i know i just i don't <laughs> even i don't even like the label anymore but <laughs> but it, but the idea that if you that there was this type of human being who Whose main thing, whose main desire in life was to sit astride a giant inflatable penis on Oxford Street right. uh, once a year in February, and who yes. had a very particular fashion and a very particular politics and a way of dancing and a way of dressing and a way of speaking. Mm. I obviously wasn't that, mm. and so I, in you know, in some respects, in hindsight, I think that the, again, conformism and groupthink and easy kind of tribal identity politics. Maybe this is why I'm allergic to it. Maybe this is one reason why I'm allergic to identity politics is I felt very viscerally the downside of being excluded from a group that was purporting to speak on my behalf.
1: Right. Okay. Yes. Well, okay. So you've, if you're feeling torn in that, you know, okay, these people are supposed to represent me and they don't, and they don't necessarily understand that. Um, I've always loved camp men and the, I love Queer culture, I guess. I just, I have never really. So did I. Felt it just wasn't me. Yes.
0: Right. I mean, I, you know, I thought it was hilarious. I thought Julian Clary was very funny, right. but I clearly wasn't Julian Clary. Yes. A hyper camp British, uh, you know, comedian.
1: Yeah, sure, and that's fine. And look, I'm not even British. <laughs> <laughs> I think you can certainly hold on to your own individualism. You can get a sense of who you are as an individual person and allow for the complexities and nuance of life, while at the, still at the same time. You know recognizing the fact that certain groups based on their identity have been historically treated a certain way that though that legacy still lives with us today um and that that extends to both identity groups and also economic classes for sure yeah
0: yeah I mean will it ever will there ever be a point at which we've won the battle enough that it becomes counterproductive for the community to set this big vision of itself up as this behemoth that has to be joined or not joined? In other words, will we ever reach a point at which there's such tolerance of gayness that we don't
1: really need pride? (laughs) Hmm. Well, they keep making homophobes, I must say, and sometimes I think the level... Fewer and fewer. Well, yes.
0: With fewer and fewer, with less and less power.
1: True. Yes, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's
0: almost nothing you could do in a corporation nowadays that would be more likely to get you hauled before HR and potentially fired than to be openly homophobic
1: well maybe in your corporation here in Australia but as you were saying if you work for a massive multinational that you know regularly colludes with the Saudi government or whatever oh, or yeah, is sponsoring yeah. the Qatar world cup or whatever I mean if yeah, you no, start I- if you start pushing back against the corporate wokeness to the point where it hurts profits then you'll start to get some pushback don't you worry about that yes yeah, again that's again the the material analysis the the critique of capitalism is is the important um element to that that story i think but i but i take your point like and this is the frustration and there is a movement within the mardi gras again i know we keep coming back to that because we're yeah yeah yeah. you're married to a man and i I suck dick but um (laughs) it's all we think about but there is this real movement within the mardi gras right now to get it back to its radical grassroots right and sort of say hang on we shouldn't be allowing i mean um gilead was a major sponsor of the Mardi Gras a few years ago. Now, Gilead charges extraordinary amounts of money to gay men in the US who want to access, um, what's that? The PrEP? PrEP, right? So again. Which is like a sort of a prophylactic against uh, HIV. Yes. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah, something you take to, you know, an incredible innovation that would have grown out of some private sector uh, profiteering, but also through a uh, pure research, pure scientific research, with no profit motive whatsoever. So we have this, but it we,
0: didn't, right? I mean, it was a private. It was a consequence of a private drug drug company,
1: a private drug drug company that would have been staffed by people who are educated through a publicly funded education system sure. based on previously well, publicly... not probably
0: owned- no, probably in the they're probably in the states are so probably. I mean, their, their university education would not be publicly funded. Well,
1: there are a bunch of universities in America that get public funds, that's Yeah, for the sure. The people
0: who go on to invent, uh, you know, life-saving drugs at gigantic drug companies tend to have gone to Ivy League schools. But oh! that can be another uh, another example no of inequality, example. Uh, of, of the barbarous inequality.
1: But also standing on the shoulders of scientific research that is shared throughout the world through a, a, yeah. a spirit of global cooperation with no interest in, in profits whatsoever.
0: Yeah. I mean, but anyway, so what's the point about this? So a, you mean a drug company is so a drug sponsoring profiteering?
1: A... So a drug company profiteering by charging uh, men um, uh, extraordinary amounts of money for their life saving um, uh, for life saving medication is is listed as a sponsor for for Mardi Gras, and so the radical you know grassroots socialist anti capitalist section of Mardi Gras would say this is this is insane. Yeah, this is yeah and we
0: should be up to something more than just being a corporate front for uh, messages of. Uh, glib tolerance.
1: Yes, mm. yes, because in the material reality, thanks to capitalism, this massive. Oh, here
0: he goes again. He's <laughs> using the word again. He's going to blame everything on capitalism. Well, I've got a sore foot. Capitalism's to blame because it made the shoes. It made these shoes. It made these shoes that made my foot sore. Uh, the book is called. What's the book called? <laughs> it's a comedy book. Is this a comedy book, Tom? The level of research. Is this
1: a- <laughs> <laughs> play the this <laughs> What's the book called? It's called I Millennial, One That's Snowflake Screen Against Boomers, Billionaires, and Everything Else. Yeah, but
0: it's a comedy book.
1: It is funny. The, yeah, it's funny to read comedy all now. book. It's yeah, a very funny book. Jokes.
0: Uh, unfortunately, I only had a PDF of it. And you know how bad it is to read off a PDF? Yeah, it is annoying. It's not it's annoying. Yeah. But I liked the bits that I read as I was scrolling through it on my iPad. Thanks, mate. Uh, and when I get a, an actual copy of the book, I will send you a hard copy. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? That'd be great. Capitalism um, sucks, by my book. Capitalism sucks, by <laughs> capital, capitalism sucks, and Josh disagrees with what liberal means, by my book. <laughs> you should put that on the cover of the second print. You should put the man quote the quote from me quote yeah. from Josh Sepp, uh ABC Radio. Uh, the man doesn't even know what a liberal is. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Will you stick around for our uh, first date questions? Because uh, our most loyal subscribers get a special bonus section, oh. and we—it's like we're on a first date—and sure. I pepper you with uh, sort of raw shark questions mm-hmm. and you just the first thing that comes into your mind okay and if people want to get the bo- all the bonus content with no ads yes. uncomfortable conversations dot uh, or something like that it's a go to the go just search for uncomfortable conversations on substack you ready the greatest ready? broadcaster of our age and yeah, <laughs> this is preparation for you see and that's capitalism working right there tom what? that's that's capitalism working right there mm-hmm. uh, my fans want more content than i can provide them with yes so i'm like well you know how about you kick in and then maybe I can go on a holiday or something. That's not what I use well, the money for. Under I socialism, there'll be free
1: podcasts for all. Would there? You won't even need to be a patron.
0: But who would be making those podcasts?
1: People. See, this is the thing.
0: Okay. Me. I'd be f- enslaved. You'd you basically enslaved. Say, you'd say, you've would say, got to make another podcast. I'd go, what's in it for me? You'd go from each according to his ability <laughs> to each according to his need. Yes. I'm like, I've got, lots, I've got more ability than I have need. So you, I'm just going to be working hard. Do
1: you enjoy Nothing. making the podcast?
0: I don't enjoy making the podcast enough that I'll make the additional content without
1: getting paid for it. You don't need the additional content under socialism again because you've got all your material. Well, to then people will be getting
0: less po- less Josh than areas. <laughs> that's fine. They want the, if that's the trade-off. the world is clamouring for more <laughs> Josh Sepp's content, Tom. This is what you don't understand about capitalism: <laughs> clamouring. <clears throat> and I'm about to give it to them right now mm. because uh, they are loyal subscribers. And they're going to pay for it. Uh, otherwise, I wouldn't do it. The extra bit, I mean, I'll do the free bit and anyway, always anyway. Um. What's the best cuisine?
1: Italian. Okay.
0: What's been the best year of your life so far?
1: Ooh. Um. God, that's a very, uh, very good question. Um. I guess I have to say the one where I met my boyfriend. Oh, that was 2020, so that's absolutely not true. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I was, ironically, 2016 was a crazy year for me, in in which I was creatively fulfilled, and I guess it was beginning of a a new stage of my life, and I was starting to ask some big questions. So yeah, 2016, nice. The year you became a
0: communist. If there was, (laughs) if there was an Olympic games for everyday activities, what uh, what (laughs) activity? That was just a little taste of our first eight questions, which you'll be able to hear all of if you subscribe to Uncomfortable Conversations, not just the questions, but of course, all of our banter around them, which become a subsequent little episode of themselves. Uh, If you do subscribe, you will not only hear that, but you'll also hear no ads on any episode ever, and you'll get additional content, including opportunities to connect directly with me, you can subscribe at uncomfortableconversations.substack.com or follow the links in uh, the uh, the podcast description. Uh, otherwise, I'll see you next time on Uncomfortable Conversations. Uncomfortable Conversations is produced by Stefan Postuma. Follow me, Josh Sepps, on Twitter and Instagram for all the latest. May your day be fruitful, your mind humble, your enemies generous, and your conversations perfectly, sparklingly, delectably, Uncomfortable.